understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson and with our special guest, Paul Alexander, former offensive line coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. A little bit with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but Paul, thanks for uh, joining us. We're talking all things offensive line here today. No, this will be fun. Yeah, this will be great. Paul, what are you, what are you doing these days? Uh, well, I, I guess officially I'm retired from coaching. Um, but I, uh, I work with players. Shoot, I've been around the world. I've been to Europe twice, I've been to Australia, I've been to the UK a couple times, uh, uh, and I've been to a couple hundred American colleges, and oh, I, I work with uh, oh two dozen different NFL players and so forth. Awesome, that's great. So we'll talk uh, a little bit about the rookie offensive linemen, some general offensive line discussion, and then I, I broke out my cool clinic shirt. Say, At you some point, good. you're gonna explain what you're wearing. It's a, uh, Maybe Paul can explain it. Why do I have a mushroom that says cool under it? This is like this is like your thing here. Well, uh, that is a clinic that has been going on for 30 years now at least. Uh, Coaches of Offensive Line, C-O-O-L. And the moniker is cool. a mushroom where, you know, the same old thing, line coaches are, you know, just fed a bunch of garbage and kept in the dark. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a society of offensive line coaches that we uh, – uh, we encourage each other and uh, because usually we just get garbage. I thought you were trying to get one of those, you know, mushroom coffee sponsors that keeps flooding my timeline on like Facebook and Instagram or whatever. People trying to convince you to really? drink mushroom coffee. There's some sort of, it's great health benefits, Steve. That's I what you want. I could be interested and I could wear the shirt. That's what what I'm type saying. of mushrooms? I have no idea. I, mm. it, all I know is I've seen the ads. Psychedelic coffee. And every time it comes up, the, my only thought is I will never, ever try that. It just, it doesn't look nice i'll try almost any kind of coffee so we'll see i mean so you guys invited me into your society i'm a four-time keynote speaker yeah at the uh at the cool clinic so got the shirt and everything i figured it'd be a good day to to wear it it's not good they're not supposed to wear white on tv they tell you but uh we're taking out with a white background look yeah. it wasn't perfectly planned out but we're having we're having some fun here okay i'm gonna talk some o-line all right um so paul let's let's talk uh a little bit about your history with pff grade so you're with the Bengals for how many years uh 23 years 23 wow. years yeah um then pff shows up on the scene and we start grading your guys that only only the cool clinic type of people can grade right it's like I mean, a whole tom brady career it really is yeah. <laughs> well let, let me tell you you may not even know this uh uh we're neil uh neil hornsby who was the founder uh first connected you know he was uh doing PFF out of his garage, I guess, over in England. And uh, all of a sudden these things pop up, you know, and and uh, I start watching them and I would look at it. I'd say, okay, my left tackle's going against uh, so-and-so this week. Uh, let me pull up all the grades. Well, 
uh, hey, Joe Thomas blocked him good. This guy blocked him good. He blocked him good. Oh, he didn't block him good. So, so I would first get a head start on what film to watch. And then I would tell the players, I'd say, hey, you better watch this game and that game if you want to see the problems. If you want to see how he's blocked well, watch this game. And then I, I got more where I would start knowing the players. And I would say, you know what? Don't even watch these games because your technique isn't like those guys, you know. Your technique's like these guys. Watch those games, you know, and uh, how they did. So I would use PFF, and I messaged back and forth with Neil when he was in England, and we became very close then, and uh, it's carried on until this day. I, I love PFF right from the beginning. And, and who would have thought we'd all move to Cincinnati so we could all be neighbors now, right? <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Because you're still living right down the street here, and we're all uh, we're all neighbors. Um, so you've, uh, when you were in Cincinnati, the play-by-play -play grading and, and various things like that, what did you, what have you seen? Because we, we take a lot of criticism, believe it or not. A lot of people criticize us here at PFF and particularly with the offensive line grades, right? You don't know what we're doing. You're not in the meeting room. You don't know our technique and blah, 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 blah. So how, do, how, what have you seen as far as besides just preparing, um, are, are we at least getting in the ballpark as far as describing what you're seeing here's, on the field Here's as well? what I say, and I, I've said it before, that um, I, I have access to the PFF data and video, and I pull things up, and I'm, I might pull up, uh, oh, Jonah Williams, right, and watch all of his positive graded plays, you know, or I might watch all of his negative graded plays. And I got to tell you, I, it's somewhere around 95% accurate. It really is for, for what I would have graded. It. Yeah. And they say, well, you're not. The, yeah, okay. Well, there's a, there's a small percentage of those plays where it could be, eh, we don't know exactly what they're doing. But I've always said that when, when you expand it out over 1,000 plays, everyone's got a couple of those plays. Of course. And so they all become a wash. And uh, so I've been a huge proponent of PFF. I used it in my coaching, um, and I use it today. Well, we appreciate it. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I think we've always made that point, right? That there's there's a huge amount of value from just doing the process and documenting every play. And sure, there's always going to be some plays where if you're not in that meeting room and you don't know the specific, you know, weird adjustment they're making for this one player or this one scheme, you're not going to be able to get it right. You're going to be led astray. But that's that's going to come up two times in that one game over a thousand snap season, it's like a tiny, tiny margin for error that's only really affecting this one game a couple of times. And even then, you might not even grade it badly. You know what I mean? It might not be a dramatic difference from if you were grading the exact adjustment that they were assigned, but just the act of documenting it rather than sort of watching the game and sort of going through and just mentally thinking about, was that good? Was that bad? Where, where did you come out? I think there is value in that. And I think that's the bit that people kind of get lost in the weeds and don't focus on like just the overall good that comes from it. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think it's great. I mean, uh, I, I say this, I say, okay, I, I study pressures on quarterback, right? They sit there, they watch. Did the guy hit the quarterback? Yeah, he hit the quarterback, right? Uh, did, was there pressure on the quarterback? Yeah, there, was it a sack? Yeah, I, right? Anyone can kind of see that, right? Yeah. <laughs> can you put a stopwatch and see how long it took the quarterback to throw the ball? I, I think just about anyone can do that, right? So yeah. you take, and those are the things that, that I think you're looking at as much as anything, you know, yeah. the, the things that are quantifiable and, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily subjective. One so. of the tricky things that you guys, that you know, like you're in a meeting room the day after and you know the nuance and where the quarterback's supposed to be and all that stuff. We do take a lot of time uh, you know, looking at those plays, for instance, like week one, Tyron Smith had a play 
there's pressure on the interior Dak uh kind of you know spins out a little bit and tyron smith's blocking his guy who sees the spin out and then he sacks Dak prescott and everybody and we're like hey tyron smith didn't give up any pressures it wasn't on him that was that was losing leverage and and all that stuff right how often do you see that i mean i don't you don't have to interact with fans i don't think as much as we do when they're complaining about our stuff but how many times do you see that where like it looks like the left tackle is beaten until you understand you know the nuances of what's happening well you get a lot of that in the when you're watching the commentary on tv right you know? right and uh um i, I it's kind of hard to tell from uh the live shot commentary exactly what's going on but when you get back to go back and you watch the video and the film and you break it down and uh, you get you have a better chance of getting it right one of the uh the big sort of topics of discussion this time this year in the draft was Sewell, who started off i think as this kind of consensus number one uh, top tackle available generational talent and then kind of up on the rails came rashawn slater and suddenly there was a group of people saying Slater might be the best tackle in this draft class. Where were you on those two guys now? And, and has the first couple of weeks of NFL action changed your mind at all on either of those? You know, it's funny. Uh, Sewell, uh, Sewell was such a great player for so long. And I know uh, you guys had him as a blue grade through his whole career, which mm. was unbelievable from uh, his very first games as a freshman in college. And uh, so that was always a good indicator to me that he'll adjust quickly to the NFL because as a freshman, he was good, all right? Um, he was rare. He had a magnificent offensive line coach at Oregon, all right, who really teaches modern uh, protection techniques, right? Meaning, I call them modern, I, I call them independent hands techniques, right, which is tailored for today's rushers. Rushers, they, they use hand knockdowns, they use spins, they use the new one this year, everyone's doing the hop chop, right? They're doing, you know, the Aaron Donald hop, they're all doing it, and and uh, you see everyone doing it. And uh, the independent hands is a more progressive, uh, newer uh, technique form. Well, he knew those things, you know? Most of the college guys, they set, they turn, they two-hand punch, which in pro football doesn't work, right? They're so good with their hands that they knock your hands down, they make moves, you miss targets, you know. So anyways, so so I knew Sewell was going to be top shelf. I liked him better than Slater, and this is why. Because when I first started putting my list together of guys to go work out with, I worked, uh, I trained 34 of the, what, 46 offensive linemen that were drafted this year wow. in the offseason. Wow. And so I knew them all. Uh, and I didn't approach Rashawn because I was told when I was putting my list together, they said, oh, no, he's a guard. He's not a tackle. So I kind of, he slipped by me a little bit. I only did him on video. I didn't do him in person. I did Panay in person. And, uh, and I found this out from watching, uh, let's talk about Slater a little bit, all right? This is kind of fascinating. Everyone was concerned, those who, had concerns with Slater was his height and his reach. And his body looked more like a guard than a tackle. You know, he wasn't the linear type guy. And so the question would be, you know, how is he going to block the long guys? You know, the guy. And so in the opening game, uh, the Chargers are playing uh, the Washington team. And who does he get? He gets Montez Sweat. Now, Montez Sweat is the longest leverage rusher. Uh, that you could imagine. He's one of the very best. And if uh, if anyone, if a shorter guy would have a hard time with anyone, it would be Montez Sweat. 
let me get some actual numbers here. 98th percentile arm length, uh, 35 and three quarters arms for Montez Sweat. So when yeah. you're going up against him at 98th percentile arm length among edge defenders historically. I know. It's like you blocking him. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd win. I would win unless you've got some, yeah, you know, know, low man wins sometimes, but, you know. Cut block. Like taking these out. <laughs> there you go. And uh, so I was concerned, you know, well, well, the first two plays of the game, right? The very first two plays of the game, Sweat comes, he bull rushes him, he long arms him, you know, he kind of pushes him near the quarterback. It wasn't a pressure. It could have been graded, maybe a pressure, but it wasn't, all right? It was kind of close, uh, two of those. And then I go, okay, all right, yes, Slater, you're going to have a hard time with these tall guys, huh? And then I'm watching more. Well, the third time they went against each other, he gives them the long arm, and Slater, obviously, a shorter arm, so instead of trying to grab his chest, he just grabbed underneath his arm, and he picked it up, and he stopped the force. And they did it again. He did it again. He did it again. So he adjusted how to block that type of rusher, which was a concern. You know, it's amazing that he would get the ultimate challenge in this very first NFL game. Right. And I think he graded <laughs> twenty for twenty in that game. I think he yeah, was, didn't give up a pressure. Yeah, he did a great job in that matchup. So and he's he's the perfect. Yeah, he's the perfect example of this because he's got that thirty-three inch arms. You know, right at the borderline when NFL teams are like, no, nope, we're not interested. You're gonna to have to move inside to guard. And if he's able to overcome all that and be as good as he looks like he is through two weeks, I mean, it's great for that, for the people that rail against that, like just stop looking at arm length, you know? He, he like Sewell, uses independent hands techniques, right? I just classify him that way. When the arm length was so important, and I'm a proponent of arm length, right? But I used to be more of a proponent of arm length because back when everyone punched, you know, if if you were longer than me, I couldn't get your chest. My right. arms were long enough, you know. But yeah. but now it's more of like wrestling, right? These techniques, you know, you let the guy touch it, and then you get your hands in the right spot, and you just grab them and move your feet, you know. And uh, so he's able to do that. If he didn't know those techniques, if he was just setting and two hand punching everybody, he'd be in trouble. Excuse me, right? he'd be in trouble. Yeah. So uh, Panay Sewell, who you said you you liked him coming out, obviously we graded him well. We liked him. He looked like a generational kind of tackle. I hate using the word generational, but he was the best guy that we had graded as a freshman and as a sophomore. Um, all of a sudden, the Lions draft him. They have Taylor Decker at left tackle. They move move Panay to right tackle. Um, I do want to talk about that in a general sense, but did you see Panay in the preseason? What was happening in right at right tackle? He was he, not he, comfortable at, to say he, the least. He was poor. I think he was a yellow, right? He was a yellow player as a right tackle with yellow. Which means what? It means, your, to me, yellow in your, is, in your, the way I interpret your colors, I may be completely wrong, right? But if a guy's a blue, I say he's like a top shelf player, yeah. right? If a guy's green, he's good, right? He's a starter, right? If he's a yellow, ooh, maybe he shouldn't be. If he's an orange, if he's a red, <laughs> he was, right? well, that's how I look at these. Today yeah. was getting into that orange and red territory yeah, in a small sample size in preseason and just did not look comfortable at he all. He did not. And, you know, it's kind of funny, the whole timing, everything. Um, even Orlando Brown on the left, his footwork isn't right. You know, that's why he's had uh, a rough go of it so far, you know, flipping over on the left side against speed guys. Um, and it's different for guys. Some guys, and it depends on them. You know, the, the question is, uh, can guys flip? Well, I think you need evidence that shows a guy can do it. Yeah. You better work him out and see if he's natural at it. 
right? Or he better have played it at some point. Or did he, even in high school, if he played on that side? Because I had guys that could go left, right, and it without any, any, any uh, pause. But I've had guys that, no matter what, they could never play on the other side after being on that other side their whole life. The, the it depends out, on the guy. The working out part is a good... We, we kind of asked this question just between the two of us who have no idea the other week. If, if you're a team looking to draft a guy and you know there's a pretty good chance you're going to have to move him from left to right or right to left, when you're doing that workout, are you running him through the other side? Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Because yeah. that, I mean, that's that makes sense, right? Sure. Yeah. Sometimes, like with a guy like Sewell, he was so bad at right tackle, you're kind of wondering, did they check? <laughs> like, Did they just assume that this was going to be okay? Or did they actually work him out and make sure that he could? Well, who knows right? with, the, with the COVID workouts, what right. was going on, you know, but... Uh, um, yeah, so that that was a concern, but they went over to the left, and let me tell you, he went up against uh, Bosa in the first game. Now, to me, Bosa is the hardest rusher. The 49ers Bosa is the hardest rusher in the league to figure out. Really, right? The hardest because he has elite bull rush and he has elite moves. Right? Most guys are usually one or the other. Chase Young, who I think is terrific. In fact, when I saw Chase Young in Ohio State, I say reminded me of Lawrence Taylor. I was the one who said that, you know. So I obviously have great admiration for Chase Young. But Chase Young is more of a move guy. Okay, well, you can use a little different techniques to block him, you know. Uh, Sweat is kind of a power guy, you know, so you can use different techniques to block him. Bosa has both. All right, so you got to be absolutely perfect on top of your stuff. Okay, so what happens? Well, he goes out against him, and my God, the one play he runs right into him, and Sewell crumples Bosa like he's a freaking statue just turning into dust. You know what I mean? And then the next time Bosa goes, okay, the next time I'll run right him, and they'll jump inside quick on him, you know? And Sewell, like a cat, and it was like, whoa! They, same thing, got his hands out, you know, put him on the ground. And, uh, so a matchup like that, it's kind of amazing. Those two guys, the matchups they had in the openers. Tested you know, right away. Right? I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah. I, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more first-round offensive line. We'll get into Alex Leatherwood. But first, week two of football is in the books. It's time to review the tape. Get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up. You don't want to miss it. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Place a dollar, a bet of one dollar on any week three game. Paul, you could do this if you're a new, if you're a new DraftKings user here. You actually can't because you're in Ohio. But you receive $150 <laughs> in free bets instantly. If it's not available in your state here in Ohio, Paul, like it's not, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets. And you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And then you go like this. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrict restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, you call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We just had to pay some bills. Wow. See, you tried to show off and you, you butchered it. You stumbled. 
you, they tell you to be you natural, know, interact with the guests and stuff like player. that, right? I'm just saying, like, if I'm not a pressure player at all. Displaying in no. front of people, you need to be able to see. Hey, to I'm the worst better. I, we once had, during a bye week, we did a little uh, pool about 10 years ago. with Hopefully everyone, not on NFL Everyone games. in the neighborhood, <laughs> you know, they, that was before the rules, right? Oh, okay. He's retired now. can't get him now. He's Pete Rose used to be. There's got to be a statue of limitations. Yeah, statue of limitations I mean, everyone put a buck in, you know what I mean? And I'm not kidding you, of the 20 neighbors in our neighborhood, that were in it, I came in last. <laughs> last, twenty out of twenty. My wife came in like third because she likes <laughs> she likes the color of the Vikings helmets. See, it's a good thing we can't gamble yet in Ohio here. My right? uh, my mother was on like an eight year streak of picking the Super Bowl winner just from like the helmets or the colors or the name or whatever. I had no idea who any of the teams were, any of the players, but was like eight for eight for a run, and then the wheels fell off. Yeah, old so, old saying: He who bets on NFL games lives in uh paper boxes well you just need <laughs> the pff data to give you the uh give you the edge yes the uh <laughs> pff green line will certainly help you over at pff.com then you'd uh you know you'll have a beautiful house actually uh somebody in the youtube comments is uh taking your joke here sam panay sul at left tackle has direct tv yeah sul at right tackle has cable uh-huh. those old uh direct tv commercials um so sul has looked good at left tackle slater has looked good at left tackle uh slater a 67.8 pff grade Highest pass blocking grade of any rookie offensive line so far. Uh, by our numbers, Sewell, 71 overall grade. Uh, solid at left tackle. I don't know what the Lions do when Taylor Decker is healthy, though. Do you have to move Sewell back to right tackle? Well, so that was what I was going to ask. Is he, was, he looked terrible at right tackle. Is that something you would expect? Like, How long would you expect that to last? Is he just a guy that's probably going to struggle there always? Or was this something that, you know, six weeks in, he's going to look way more comfortable? Or... You know, if, if they hadn't got, I mean, I don't want to say caught a break with, you know, their left tackle getting injured, but if they hadn't had to move him back to left tackle and they'd, he'd been playing two weeks at right tackle, it, it was looking terrible. Like, how long would you expect that? To uh, if, if I'm the Lions, you don't move Sewell. He's your left tackle for the next 15 years. And I'd trade Decker. Wow. That's what i do. How much I've been suggesting that they move one of them, and by one of them, I mean Decker into left guard like it's it, mm. where where are you in the idea that moving from left tackle to left guard is harder or easier than moving from left tackle to right tackle you know in a vacuum right without any sort of evidence that either guy can has done it in the past or any of that kind of stuff uh, i i think we'd have to go back to you'd have to you'd have to get him out there and you'd have to see how natural he is yeah and you and you could tell within five minutes if a guy's natural or not wow it is a completely different skill set, right? Yeah. When we're talking left tackle, right tackle. I mean, left tackle, uh, guard versus tackle and the whole thing. Yeah. Um, real quick on the left tackle, right tackle thing. I spent the entire offseason telling people that uh, free agent Alejandro Villanueva would solve various tackle problems across the NFL. Um, and then the Ravens signed him. And at first I was like, okay, finally somebody signed Ali Villanueva. However, it happened to be the Ravens who were going to flip him to the right side after six years at left tackle, and he looked pretty bad in his first game. But he moved back to left tackle and redeemed himself on Sunday night. Um, so that's another one. You've got a veteran that moved from left to right, and he looked pretty bad. Over it's there. hard. Some can do it, some can. Yeah. That doesn't have the easy answer, though, because now Stanley's going to come back at some point. Right, so there's two teams now that have, there's like four left tackles between the Ravens and the Lions, right? And they have to figure out what to do at the right side. From an analytical standpoint, 
there are so many guys who play left tackle in college because they're generally better than the right tackle. They get drafted and then they play right tackle in the NFL and they're fine. Like Mitchell Schwartz was a left tackle in college. Almost everybody was. So from an analytical standpoint, it's, I think it's easy for us to say, well, this happens all the time. But then you'd get an individual who just, whether it's the footwork or just what about these unbalanced power-wise, whatever, like there's something missing for some from some people, right? When they're switching. I mean, whatever, <laughs> how crazy, was it Louisville that used to switch tackles was it play drive that they used to play strength with the tackles, right? So they would flip them. Left and right. back, yeah. Well, b back in the day, like That's when how I they was used to young, play football, right? yeah, in the seventies and eighties, everybody flip flopped. They right. had a strong and weak line. Most, most, not everybody, but seventy five percent of the teams did. And then there's just a couple today that still do, and the techniques are trickier. And it's probably good they don't. And uh, but one of the big problems is, okay, if I've been playing left tackle since I was 14 years old, right? Well, I've strengthened up the muscles on my right side of my body more than the left side of my yeah. body, right? Now all of a sudden I go over and I play on the right and the left side of my body is weaker. That's not good. Right. You know, and you get a muscle imbalance. People one of the things Donald Penn, right? He, he flipped over sides and then immediately... The, it's a strength something. imbalance. One of the guys, the best guys that manages Andrew Whitworth. Andrew Whitworth is a left tackle. Uh, he's a tremendous athlete. You know, he, uh, you know, he's darn near scratch golfer, but he's a left-handed guy who hits the golf ball right-handed, right? <laughs> and uh, he did that because when he was a kid, those were the clubs that were in the garage, right. you know? So he learned how to hit, play golf. He's a scratch golfer, right? He's a lefty. And uh, what's funny is every day, uh, in the off-season and OTAs, after he goes through OTAs, he goes to the golf range and hits a bucket of balls. And he says it's so that he keeps both sides of his body strength, kind of strong. Kind of like, <clears throat> I know you, you had a relationship with Tom House. You know, they throw the towels with the right hand, they throw them with the left hand, you yeah. know, to, to maintain equal balance in their body. Uh, I think that NFL players and strength development and trainers need to do that more with players. Yeah. You know, Whitworth says that's the reason why he's played so long and has been pretty much injury-free because he hasn't weakened one side of his body. I don't want to get off into the pitching. So my, my shtick here is to always make baseball analogies. But it, it a pitch, a right-handed pitcher, it is. it was always fascinating to me because I just did the same thing over and over and over again. It was like so different than other athletic moves. Like a quarterback has hundreds of throws that he has to make and some under pressure and some on – like I'm just throwing the same three pitches, plate never moves – so I figured like in your body could be, you know, out of balance because I'm doing more specific things, but it's not healthy <laughs> to be in uh, the same thing. If you just, like you're saying, if you just train for left tackle, it, it's tough maybe to, to flip sides. The other guy that flipped sides this year is Alex Leatherwood, the other first round pick with the Raiders. Uh, what have you seen from him so far? His PFF grade, a little bit worse than the other guys. He looks like he struggled at least by our by our numbers so far. Yeah, he's uh, he doesn't look natural over there right now. Yeah. He, uh, um, his pass sets aren't crisp and clean. It's almost like he's backpedaling, kind of feeling his way out and measuring the guy he's going against rather than – they're really good pass blockers. They set with authority to a position. We call it a spot. And they force a rusher to rush how they want him to rush, and then they react, right? Um but he's not there right now. Right now, he's kind of just backing up and seeing whatever's happening. You know, I, I once uh, here's another baseball. Right, I once had a yes. ticket at the uh, diamond seat. You know, down at the Red Stadium, and I'm sitting ten yards away from home plate. And the most amazing thing that I got out of that 
was when those guys get in the box, I mean, there, there could be a firecracker going off and they're not going to flinch. Yeah. You know, and that's what really good NFL tackles look like, you know, and Alex doesn't look that way right now when he's setting. Yeah. So when, when you're evaluating linemen, you're seeing them getting to a spot in an athletic position and ready to handle whatever's being thrown at them, right? Yeah. You, Where you, you see guys, like when they seem like they're playing catch up with their footwork or whatever, it's it's generally curtains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see it in their eyes. Ooh, you really yeah. can. You can see it in their eyes what they're doing. Are they, are, I, when I, when I work with the guys, I say, okay, pass protection is this, right? In pass protection, the most important thing you need to know is you block a spot, meaning the place where you're setting up. You block a spot, you don't block a man. And we're, players fail time and time again is that they're judging the guy they're going against on their way to the setup spot. Yeah. And the defender, his job is to try to prevent that blocker from getting to his spot. Yeah. So they do head fakes and jabs and euros and, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? So the really good guys block the spot and then they worry about the man. And um, that's where you can see if they're at that level yet. And uh, Alex isn't at that level yet. You might be able to help with this. We have a live YouTube uh, question here. Uh, B, well, somebody's asking. <laughs> he needs a spot for his first anniversary. He's in the Cincy area. He wants to bring his wife to uh, someplace for, yeah, and somebody actually suggested Jeff Ruby's. Not, and and it, I'm going to say Jeff Ruby's just because I want that Ruby sponsorship. What did this show just become? doesn't Are matter. You now like I'm, respond I'm responding to our, and give us the thumbs up if you're live on YouTube. But he needs a nice place to go. Any, any off, you know, you can think about it. But if you have any hidden Take her to here, Skyline Chili. Skyline Chili. There, there we go. There it is. Skyline. She'll love you for it. Jeff Ruby's or yeah. Skyline Chili. You, nothing will be happening that night if you take her there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help the people out here. Okay. Guys in the Cincy area, he's trying to figure out where to go. I want the Ruby sponsorship, though, too. Yeah. Yeah. This show is like labeled all things offensive line. I'm not sure that qualifies. Mm -hmm. Well, people, they tuned in for that. Yeah. Uh, what about O-line development across the NFL right now? Would you? Where does it stack up from 15, 20 years ago, the depth? And feels like it's uh, challenging. I have a hard time because I'm retired now and I'm getting on the other end of life. And typically guys who get on the other end of life think nothing's as good today as it used to be. <laughs> so... I have a. I try to remain as completely objective as I can. It's good self awareness, by the way, that you have that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but it's not as good. Yeah, it's not as good in college. It's not as good in pro football. Um, there's less hitting in practice. Uh, there's less. Uh, oh, uh, just a matter of toughness and so forth. That you don't have as much time to work on technique work. Um, there's not the attention to time and detail in blocking techniques that there was at one time. So it shows up. It doesn't look good to me in a lot of ways. It really doesn't. So the kind of struggles, there seems to be, whatever about the overall level about offensive line play right now, there definitely seems to be a depth problem in the NFL. I think there's also a depth problem or a development problem with quarterbacks, certainly. Is this all just a product of you know, the CBA constantly chipping away at practice time and how much hitting players can do and how much time you can actually work with guys, you know, with the aim of prolonging players' careers and not exposing them all to unnecessary quote-unquote hits. But is this the unintended consequence of that? Is that we're just not seeing guys uh, I, I think time? that's true. I, I, I think that 
back when I first came in the league, you had all kinds of time to work with them. And, and the model has really changed. This is kind of interesting. In the 30 years I was involved in the NFL, the model changed drastically. Um, you used to come in with the players Monday after the game, right? The head coach would talk to the team for five minutes, this, that, and the other thing, right? The offensive coordinator would just talk for a couple of minutes, right? Then the line would leave and you'd go in your room and you'd go through the game film and take you two hours, take you three hours, take you however long it took you to go over it in detail and really do it. Well, the last years in the league, and this is true, I talked to coaches from throughout the league. Well, now the head coach gets in there and he's got a presentation, you know what I mean? And the offensive coordinator's got to go over the goals, you know, and the, and oh, but we better get the strength coach in here to talk about what the thing is. And we got to get the trainer, you know, to say, oh, and we got the, the guy that comes up whose job is be a good guy guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's got to give them, you know, all kind of social cues for this it's week, an official you know, title, and then, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, towards the end, I'd sit there and I go, my God, I can't. okay. Uh, hey coaches, uh, break up uh, and let's get them out of here. Right, like him fresh, get him out of here. So then you'd be there 45 minutes, you go over the game film, you're racing through the film, you, you go, uh, uh, we gotta go, and they're gone. It's go, what the heck? You know, and uh, I think it's the way it is. I think that, I, I think in general, many different businesses are that way now. You know, that there's a lot of layers in everything. And, um, and I think that's had a significant, uh, uh, impediment on development of linemen. It feels like they're not going to go back the other way, right? Once you started sort of taking away and protecting players in terms of practice time, they're not suddenly going to roll it back just because there's an offensive line issue or development is a problem. Do you think the league needs one of these sort of spring leagues to succeed just for a development system, the XFL, the AAF, whatever it is? Like the NFL needs to partner with one of these just to get that group of guys that are sort of on the fringe or need some development time reps? Uh, I, I think I think that would be good. I don't think they ever will. I think they uh, I think they were disappointed with the way it turned out with uh, they were trying to do that in Europe. Yeah. And, NFL uh, Europe. I think uh, I think that ship has sailed a little bit. Well, I that... think that I think the T V ratings are up. I think the uh, the merchandising is big. I think from the big perspective that the league is very, very healthy. Sure. And they probably don't see the need for that. Right. All right. I think that's uh, that's really the answer there. Um, well, that, it's, I it's, think it'd be good for it. Yeah. I know I talked about the way that uh, the league has changed in terms of layers and individual team. Uh, there's one, I, I have a player for the Patriots. Uh, it's not that way at New England. You walk in and it says, do your job. Right, yeah. <laughs> and you may be there ten hours if you got to be. You know what I mean. And uh, so, I think some of the old-fashioned values in coaching probably have a little bit of merit uh, today. It's a tricky balance with the league thing because, like, NFL Europe was too expensive, right? So they went; they didn't want any part of that. Wound that up, but they did. Like, they were quite involved with the AAF. Like, that was the one they seemed to want to succeed. And then obviously <laughs> finances dictated otherwise, you know, certain people didn't have yeah. the money they said they were going to have. And that whole thing went to hell. But it feels like somewhere there's a little part of the NFL that sort of recognizes the the benefit, even if not the need of that kind of development process that they're not directly involved with, but can kind of 
farm people out to. The, the interesting thing to me is from the player's perspective, it seems like every time they get back to the table to negotiate, they're negotiating for less time and less practice time, and they want that, and a lot of that's concussion-driven, and I think I understand, I understand why, but it might be having a negative effect on their development as players or their, uh, their earning potential as players or whatever it might be. So there is a, a tough give and take there because they think they're doing something better for their health, probably practicing less, probably doing less, and, and maybe hurting their own development. The one other thing I'll add here too is our grades through the years have showed of all the positions that can make a jump in year three or four, it's offensive line. And I don't know if that meshes with what you've seen through the years, but there are certain like what Josh Allen did at quarterback going from not so good, not so good to superstar last year is rare for quarterbacks. They usually somewhat have it or don't pretty early and you have an idea of where they're going to land. But we've seen a lot of offensive linemen get better in years three, four, and five because it does feel like it's more of a reps, reps position, technique position, strength, man strength position, right? When you become 25, 26 years old. Have you seen that through the years? Does that mesh with things you've seen? Yeah, it's so technical. I'll give you one example. There's a there's a college player, a prominent college player that I work with, right? He'll be a first round draft pick right now that when he sets, can you see my feet on there? Okay, here we go. Here's my feet. When he sets for a guy out here, all right, his footwork with his inside foot right now goes back and then out, back and then out like an L, all right? Well, the proper way that the inside foot should slide if you're going to block that way is on a 45 like this. Well, when he's going back and over and that guy's coming like this, well, guess who wins? You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not getting now, spot. now, this guy wins because he's a way better athlete than anybody <laughs> yeah. else. You know what I mean? So, But when he gets to the NFL, if he goes back and then over, you know, Chase Young is going to hit the quarterback. Right. So those little things, you know, they have to learn. And oh, yeah, how hard is that to do? Well, you go out there and do that full speed now, you know, when. Uh, uh, so it takes time. And, and that's just one little technical example of things that they have to learn. Yeah, we've really seen we've seen that with linemen. Right. They, they take a little bit longer sometimes. And that's that's the kind of thing you probably you presumably can't be working on during the season. Like it's an off season thing only in terms of. We have to change something about your technique, right? It's hard to, it's hard to, you can make changes during the season, but they have to be gradual. Right. We you talked know. about that. So you mentioned Tom House. He's a, he was a guest on the show last year, just before the Super Bowl. He's worked with Tom Brady, various other quarterbacks through the years. Uh, we talked about this with Joe Thomas on the show, the idea of an offensive line coach and what your job is when you're working for the Bengals or the Cowboys in the season and getting guys right. How, how different is that from like what you're doing right now, which is having clients and working with them individually in the off season. And should a team think of those things as two different roles, like a technique coach or an individual coach, and then a guy getting you ready for Chase Young and, you know, understanding the yeah, game I, plan. And various. I, I've got a couple dozen clients that uh, right now, NFL and high caliber college guys that I watch every week. And I, uh, you know, comment things that they need to work on and I help them prepare for the guy they're going to go against. I, I, I ask all, you're going to find this hard to believe, but I, I, uh, I interview every NFL player I can find. And I say to him, I said, how much time do they spend talking about how you have to block Chase Young? Exactly how, not just, Hey, go block him. 
You know what yeah. I mean? And some teams will say, oh, they talk about five minutes on Wednesday. They might say, oh, geez, he went to Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. they, they may say that about the guy. You know what I mean? Some teams might not say anything at all. More teams are like that. They're like, hey, you're a pro. You got to know how to block that guy, you know? And some teams will do more, right? But that's a minority. Well, what's going on here? Well, NFL football is so complicated, right? Oh, we got to do this, but you got to be ready for that audible. Oh, they're in this tip. It's probably going to be that stun. It's we got to communicate this. What's the call, you know? And with the time that you have, they spend all their time basically on assignments and game plan, right? And they don't spend much time at all. Or Monday after the game, this is what happens. They, they, they watch, they got their 45 minutes to watch the film, right? First play, the coach says, oh, the right guard, you got to, right? Then the next play, they skip the next one. They skip the next one. Third, oh, the quarterback should audible here. Be ready next time we get this situation. Here's an audible, right? Fourth and right tackle. What are you doing? Look at that. You're jumping off size. What are you thinking? You know, so by all of a sudden it's 10 plays and you haven't said anything to the left tackle because he blocked himself. He blocked his guy 10 times in a row. Yeah. Right. So he never effectively gets coached. But what a personal coach does, which is what I do, what a personal coach does is I watch that left tackle every play. And I say, hey, yeah, look, look at your cutoff block here. Yeah, you got him blocked. But look at your stance. My God, look at that. And the, you see that first step? Well, it's because your stance, you know, and you got to fix that, you know. And so I think there is value in personal coaching, much like Tom House does with NFL quarterbacks. And uh, I do that with offensive linemen. It, the the game plan aspect of it is interesting to me too because again I, I reference this all the time too when Zach Robinson worked for us he's now offensive coach for the Rams and we would podcast every week about quarterbacks I thought he was so good at knowing quarterbacks and knowing if I was playing defense against this guy here's what I would do right and I do and and I always wonder when I talk to defensive coaches it feels like they're just worried about the scheme like here are the plays they run. Here's what we have to do defensively to stop those plays. But you're you're talking about, here's what Chase Young does. Here's what a player does. Or as a defensive coach, here's what Tom Brady likes to do. Here's what Dak Prescott likes to do. Here's what they don't like to do. Here's how we need to attack them. I'm always curious how much of game planning is player-driven or how much of it is just, it's just the scheme. Here are the, here's, here's what they run. We have to stop what they run. They, and is it too they, focused on scheme? They study it themselves. Um, uh, I think there's three levels to knowing how to block somebody, all right? Um, we'll just use Chase Young for an example, all right? That, uh, okay, a team might say, okay, Chase Young, here's his three favorite moves, blah, 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 right? They might tell a guy that. It's great information, right? I say when I break down a player, first I watch all of his pressures. I get them all up from PFF, right? And I go back historically, and I watch what moves he actually gets pressures on. I don't watch his last 30 rushes, right? Because why do I want to study rushes that don't work? You know, so I gather up all his pressures, right? And then, so I list what his moves are that work, right? And then I make a list of, okay, what moves doesn't he have? Okay, that's important to know. Yeah. Right? And then the third thing is I synthesize those together and I come up with the guys I work with, I call them one thoughts. And one thoughts mean this, right? That some guys, when I'll set to, I won't tell you what the one thought is against Chase Young, right? But, but just uh, one guy might be, I set to my spot, and when I get there, the thing in my mind is, a lot of players will say, oh, geez, they'll get there, and they'll be thinking, oh, he's got a great rip move. No, because if it's not a rip move, you're dead. Yeah. 
you have to think, what is going to get you in the mindset to block him? Some guys I get to the spot, and my one thought would be, don't touch him until he touches me. Because he's a hand rusher, yeah. right? Uh, one guy might be, if he's a bull rusher, my one thought when I get to the spot is protect my numbers. Just keep my numbers down, you know? One guy, I might get to the spot, and and he's got a really good outside hand knockdown, and my one thought is keep my outside hand back or work my track. or the, You come up with thoughts to block players, and that's kind of the process that the guys that are uh, – really good i think that's what they do do you so when teams are looking to scout players at the college level how important is um kind of athleticism versus production and i think it's interesting from a coaching perspective we always get the feeling that if you're a coach you're sort of chasing the guy that's built the right way that's got the right athleticism that's got all the tools working on the basis that you can fix anything technique that's wrong with him that's potentially holding his production back at the college level. <clears throat> Does that happen as much as we think it might? And is that what gets some teams into trouble sometimes when it comes to kind of screwing when, up when, the evaluation? When, when, it, when you evaluate players right now, um, I don't say this to self-promote. I say it because I believe it's true. Um, my last pick that I had at the Bengals, Cedric, oh boy, he didn't work out, right? Virtually every other player I had that I draft in the first three rounds ended up being a starter and a good player over 20 years, right? So the reason why they kept me around here so long is because I could draft and, you know, get players to play, right? I had a really good record of that. Um, and this is, this is the thing that I think is lost. Coaches will typically, when they evaluate someone, they're looking for a productive guy. They're looking for a guy that they can plug in there right away and he's going to do a good job. That would be the stereotype coach analysis, right? A stereotype scout would be a guy who's looking for traits, right? And the traits are what drives everything, his speed, his size, his, you know, change of direction and so forth, all the different traits there are, flexibility, competitiveness, and football intelligence. And, and so he's looking at traits. And so you have these draft meetings where coaches and scouts are butting heads. You know, they're disagreeing on players, right? Well, to me, it's both, right? And the thing that ties it both together is production, right? And what I used to do is, yeah, I, I looked for I looked for production, I looked for traits, but then the actual grade that the guy had, you know, how effective was he? And that kind of marries it. And then you can kind of put them in the draft spot, you know, exactly where they're at. I think it's both. I, I really do. I don't think it's one or the other. Some people get enamored with, oh, we can do this. The big one, remember Aaron Gibson, the big tackle at Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. He was, you know, a high 180 pick. pounds or so, was he? Am I thinking of the right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gibson. Yeah. And he, had, <laughs> yeah. he was, uh, oh, his uh, his family were uh, acrobats, you know, and, and he had tremendous flexibility. He could do the splits. He could, at 360 pounds or whatever, could, could sit on the ground, put his body completely flat you know, between with his legs spread. And everyone's like, oh my God, you see how flexible he is? Oh my God, oh my God, he's a freak. He's so flexible. Yeah, but you know what? He was a little slow, all right? And if you're a little slow, it's like baseball again. If you can't hit the curveball, you can't play in the major leagues, right? Yeah. If, you've got, if you've got a trait that is a definite weakness, 
you got a hard time playing pro football. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, that's kind of where it is. It's it's a big it's a big factor, uh, a, a big process of trying to evaluate a, a prospect. I, w- I want to talk uh, value of positions in a second, but first we got to give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most cost- cost- customizable, geez, easy to use, feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is playing our leagues on Fantrax this season because they feature multi-team trades, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage. You can create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF, and you get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league. Plus six thousand dollars. It's promo code PFF at fantrax.com/pff. Um, positional value, one of those things again that, from an analytics standpoint, we talk about all the time. <clears throat> Historically, everybody, you know, left tackle makes all the money. Right tackle, yeah, not as much. What are your thoughts on the value of left tackle versus right tackle in today's NFL? Tackle versus guard, um, and if you think tackle is more valuable, should, despite your evaluations. Should you always give a player a chance to play tackle just to see if he could do it and then kick him into guard um, if you think tackle is a more valuable position? Well, I think I think there's value to that. Yes, I I think those are all left tackle still uh, is is a premier spot. Uh, and the, the biggest reason is because, you know, the quarterback generally can't see that, you know, right handed quarterbacks, which most of them are. Um, I, I think the real thing, though, when you're developing a line, I say you got to have three, right? What does three mean? I think you got to have th- to be a good line. You got to have three of your guys that are above average players at their position, right? If you have three, you got a good line, yeah. right? The mistake a lot of times people will make is say, "Oh, geez, we don't have a left tackle. We're going to take. We got to take. We this left our left tackle's hurt, and you got to have a great left tackle to play. So we're going to take this guy who's we think is uh, you know he got a chance to be pretty good, you know, and we're going to pass up on this guard who we think is a you know a rare player, maybe an upper level player, you know. But we need a left tackle, so we're going to take a left tackle. You see it all the time. Yeah. Right. I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Because you got to get to three. You got to figure out how to get to three. Are you saying creep back to what average? Is he saying what we're saying? Well, does it matter which three? So if you have three above average offensive linemen, does it matter which three positions those are? You'd ideally like it to be your left tackle, your right tackle, and your center. Is what right. you ideally what you'd want. You say right? you can hide your guards a little but bit. You can. A little bit easier. You can send the center over to the side. You can double, whatever, right? But uh, the point is... Um, I can't necessarily dictate which of those sure. three it's going to be. But I'm going to get to three rather than I'm going to try to find a great left tackle or right tackle, right. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that part just makes sense, right? Instead of. Yeah. It makes sense, but, it, but it's not really uh, done very often. You know, it, uh, you see teams all the time, they'll, they'll go get, uh, they need a tackle. They're going to take a tackle. You see it at quarterback. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, all this this time of year, you know, a college guy will, you know, oh, yeah, he'll be a second rounder. He'll be a second. And then all of a sudden, the week <laughs> before the draft, rounders. they all go in the top five picks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, really? Did they all of a sudden just change, you know? And, and uh, hey, you can draft a quarterback that you think uh, is going to be a quarterback. But if he's not, you still don't have a quarterback. Uh, what are your thoughts on different – run schemes, running gap and zone and, and having uh, a mix 
versus the old, uh, you know, Alex Gibbs outside outside zone scheme. He's like, all we do is run outside zone. You just, you rep it out and, it's, and just master this one thing and you'll be great. Uh, you guys mixed it up quite a bit with the Bengals yeah. through the years. Is is there a challenge in teaching that, not mastering one thing versus keeping defenses off balance? I think if you're a team that – when Alex uh, uh, ran the wide zone and, and they were, uh, you know, tremendously successful, uh, they would get players that could run those. And typically you're looking at smaller, quicker players who can run, they can cut block, they can get in space, they can sustain, you know, they can do all that kind of stuff. Don't pass block as well, right? Yeah. So they run a lot of nakeds and bootlegs and play action and all that kind of stuff. And then they throw a lot of three steps and so forth. Well, okay, we were always more suited towards, you know, a quarterback-driven offense, you know, with Carson Palmer and and so forth, different guys. And and uh, so you want big linemen, big linemen with good feet, pass block, you know, it helps. And so we always had big linemen with good feet. Now, what could they do best? Well, they could generally, you know, run inside a little better. They can double team. They can gap block. They can pass block. Those are the things they can do. Not so good at the Y zone techniques, right? And so I think that depends on where your offense goes, you know. And uh, the 49ers fascinate me because, yeah, Shanahan's a wide zone guy, but they run every scheme there is. Yeah, it, it feels yeah. like the NFL generally is kind of, <clears throat> there's less ex, uh, extreme offenses in terms of we run wide zone only and that's all we do and we want 285 pound linemen that can all run laterally and then you get a few of these offenses that were just all we do is run gap we have these 330 pound monsters now everybody runs a little bit of everything i wonder if that's contributed to the sort of lowering of the standard because now everybody's chasing the same guys right when you had all those different systems the guys for the Alex Gibbs offense were not even looking at the guys for the the gap systems over here yeah. and vice versa. So there was, he was sort of, in the minority and, the, and he could get a player that would be good for their system in the third or fourth right. round. Yeah. So there or was, if these, you wanted a similar player in a drop back system, you know, you'd have to take him in the first round. Right. Yeah. So I wonder if that's like, that's part of the reason now why, why the standard overall is a bit lower because like everybody is chasing the same style of player and there aren't as many, you know, wildly extreme systems that, that are sort of chasing those guys that are freely available. I think that's probably true. Yeah, there you go. See? You're right. Wow, you're pretty sharp, that. Sam. Look at that. <laughs> um, can we wrap it up with this? Are you, do you feel comfortable commenting on the Bengals' uh, decision to draft Jamar Chase over Pinay Sewell? Oh, no. How do you feel? Look what we're doing. Um, it's, it's a debate we've had 900 times on this podcast. <laughs> Why not get a different... Well, let me, let me, what position does Jamar Chase play? Yeah, he's an offensive line guy. Where do you think he's going? I have an idea of where yeah. he's going to lean. So the debate was obviously wide receiver first and then alignment in the second round because we know that was a need for the Bengals versus Panay Sewell in the first round and maybe a receiver in the second round to get that, to get that trio. So fair to say that you would take Panay because you're biased. Let me put it this way. If you got, to, if you got two players with equal grades – a left tackle and wide receiver, I would take a left tackle. Did now, you, if and, you had drafted Panay Sewell, you've got Jonah Williams, who has played on the right side before. They just signed Riley Reef on a one-year deal at right tackle. What does your offensive line look like with Panay in Cincinnati? Uh, I, I'm not going there. Okay, I'm not going there. Okay, that was... <laughs> if you were, like, did you ever... So, obviously, there's, there's various ways of... Um, 
protecting the quarterback better, right? There's upgrading on the offensive line, but there's also, hey, quarterback, throw the ball quicker, you know, get it out of your hands faster. If Did you in your career ever sort of push back and say, hey, like, can we get him to speed up a little bit? The, like, we're hanging the offensive line out to dry a little bit here. I can do what I do, but you can also work from your end as well. Oh, I think it's collaborative. I, I think that uh, I think when a team has an offensive line coach who's experienced, then uh, uh, that guy has a lot of influence in all the positions. Because really, if if it's not clean up front, nothing else is going to matter. Right. You know that. Um, I, I yeah, we had those discussions before, and we were lucky that. Ken Zampezi was a quarterback coach almost the entire time, and uh, he was really good at getting the quarterbacks get rid of the ball. And and uh, the quarterbacks, I mean, Dalton got rid of the ball. Yeah. You know, Palmer got rid of the ball. They all got rid of the ball. And Kelly Smith didn't get rid of the ball. You know? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Kelly had some struggles. The, uh, the great QB class of, what, 1999. Um, I did mention this to you off air. I use the 2015 Bengals as this consistent example to say having four guys who can get open protects the offensive line. Not that you needed protection. You guys had a good offensive line in 2015. Andy Dalton had a career year statistically. A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu was the three. Tyler Eifert was kind of baby Gronkish that year. I mean, it was like the one, the one full healthy, year, healthy yeah. season of Tyler Eifert. And you're looking at this offense and it, and it was one of the things that opened up my eyes. So two things happened that year. You guys were awesome offensively and had four guys to throw to. Tom Brady lost Julian Edelman at one point during the year. All of a sudden, his time to throw goes way up because he didn't have that quick outlet. All of a sudden, their offensive line started to look bad because he didn't have the guy to throw to. So that was one of the things that opened up my eyes a little bit to that relationship of if you do have three guys who are getting open, maybe you can get by with a lesser offensive line if you're and getting rid of it. Dalton had one of the fastest times to throw in the NFL that year. And and actually the top five is, is an interesting list of names. Peyton Manning, fastest in the NFL. Tom Brady, second fastest in the NFL. Phillip Rivers, Andy Dalton, and then Roethlisberger. So that, that was a good group of guys getting rid of the ball fast. And we're seeing, uh, you mentioned Rivers, the, the Indianapolis Colts offensive line off to a slow start this year in part because of injuries and moving people around. But Carson Wentz is more than half a second longer than Phillip Rivers mm -hmm. just last year to this year. So you, know, you lose sight of that. I was down last week watching Carolina play the Saints live. And uh, you lose sight. When you're watching television, football on television, you lose perspective of how fast the game really is. Yeah. You know, it's the first time I saw McCaffrey play live, you know, and I couldn't get over how quick he is. Like the quickness is incredible, I, and, right? And uh, the other one, uh, uh, I'm stumbling here, Burns, right? Burns, Burns is Burns, yeah. unfrickin' believable yeah. how quick he is. Yeah. I saw him I saw him rush on Armstead, right? He, he ran all the way around. He took a swing at the quarterback. He fell down on the ground, you know, and then uh, uh, the quarterback scrambled, and he got up and he chased him downfield 10 yards when he ran out of bounds. It was like, oh, my God, Brian Burns unbelievable. Yeah. If and Caroline was better, he'd be a household name. Yeah. And he might be on Thursday night against the Texans. Oh, God. Here we go, baby. Your big game. You're excited. <sighs> Davis Mills. Davis Mills. Panthers defense is off to a great start. Uh, really good game against Zach Wilson, the Jets. Really good game against the Saints. Saints looked awesome in week one, but not against this Panthers defense that uh, by Friday morning people are going to be talking about as the best in the NFL.
Yeah, I mean, the schedule for Carolina is extremely nice looking. They're going to be, they're going to have a pretty good record pretty deep into the season, I would say. Well, this was fun. Do you have anything else to follow oh, up I'm with? I'm good. You're, what do you got, Mr. Uh, cool Clinic? I'm the uh, four-time keynote, spe- keynote speaker at the uh, Cool Clinic. Uh-huh. Hopefully, they'll have me back next year. Yeah, yeah. you're back. You're back. But Thank you. He was never really keynote. No, I know. He was yeah. a speaker. Yeah. Yes, he was. And I mean, you let him in the building. I don't know about keynote. Yeah. but Just between us, what they <laughs> quite literally did was threw 15 minutes my way during like the pizza break. So all, all the guys are going to get pizza. Like, oh yeah, we'll give you, we'll give you some you're like, time. You're like the intermission joke teller. It's like right after Dante Scarnecchia. Yeah. Like, yeah, we'll throw Steve out there with, during a uh, pizza break. You're like the comedian that like comes on yeah. and fills 15 minutes while Guns N' Roses is warming up in the back. Yeah, but I, I earned my spot. I will call it keynote, four-time keynote speaker. Okay. That's what we'll say. I'll all be right. back. I'm one of them. I'm one of those, old, <laughs> one of them. You got the body for it at six, eight. Almost sort of. You'd have to, you know, six ten, almost three hundred. Have to pack on some weight. Can't. There's no anchor there. What could you do with this frame, Paul? What could you? Could you get me? Uh, I teach you how to throw a baseball. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can do. Anyway, Andrew Whitworth. Let's let wrap, wrap it up with this. Andrew Whitworth. You mentioned earlier. He's our age, Sam. He's thirty nine. Is he a Hall of Famer? I think he is. Yeah, that was your guy I'm, for a while. Yeah, I mean, Hall of Fame. A big part of the Hall of Fame is, uh, you know, how much you accumulate. You know what I mean? And and he's been uh, obviously played a tremendous number of games. But the thing that's great about PFF is they actually have data now. I mean, they used when they had the Hall of Fame discussions, they'd all get around and they'd talk about this guy and that guy. And, Started oh, 150 yeah, he was games good. or something. And, uh, now they know when they pull up Whitworth's PFF grades. I told the guys I work with, I said, I, I, I put his picture up on a PowerPoint when I work with a guy. He says, okay. I said, you know who's got the best career uh, blocking grade alive in your lifetime? That guy, Andrew Whitworth. Right? I like it. Because his numbers are unbelievable. Like you said, uh, Joe Thomas, we were talking before the yeah. show. You, you mentioned, go ahead, mention what you said. I mean, I think Joe Thomas in a weird way is going to help Whitworth's case for the Hall of Fame because Joe Thomas slam dunk first ballot Hall of Fame where he's going to walk in the second he's eligible. And Whitworth's numbers grade everything stacks up pretty closely to joe thomas so at some point somebody is going to be making his case you know in that room to all the hall of fame voters and essentially just like for like comparison this guy we didn't even talk about this guy has the same career right why are we why are we stalling on him using grades maybe to to defend it using everything grades the pressure data all of it it's great i know guys are getting paid whether or not they grade pff when when I'll talk to an NFL guy who's considering uh, working with me, I pull up the list and I say, okay, here's the top graders. You know what You know what he's making? You know what he's making? You know what he's making? Look at it, all these guys. Because the agents, when they when they go to negotiate with the general manager, what can they negotiate? You know, can they, right. oh, we don't think he's good. Oh, we think he's good. That's what they used to do in the old days. Right. Now they got stats. They can say, hey, look, this guy's fifth in the league at right guard. Yeah. You know, he should get paid like one of the best right guards. Five seasons in Whitworth's career where he's allowed one or fewer sacks. Joe Thomas, when he had two, one and a half, you can't. Don't, the last season. This isn't, you don't have to make, who you coached that to, guy? You don't have to pull yeah. Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas had, look who you, <laughs> look. Joe was had Johnny Manziel and Josh McCall, all these dudes holding the ball for three seconds back there. Just Come saying. on, don't bring Joe down. I'm just saying. Joe's still the standard. And, and love Andrew as well. But they're both guests. They're both friends of the show. That's true. They've both been on the show here. 
So we want, we just want as many, uh, many of our guests to be in the Hall of Fame as possible. So we're pushing for both Joe and, and Andrew when he finally retires. I don't think we need to worry about Joe is my point. No, we don't. Yeah. I think he'll be okay without us. Mm. Anyway, Paul, this was great. Really uh, appreciate, you know, having you on here and talking. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank yep. you. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, it's our live Wednesday show. Appreciate everybody on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up before you leave. And uh, we'll be back here tomorrow previewing all of the week three games. See you guys tomorrow.